Number 37, I believe it is, because Jake told me about 30 seconds ago. Uh, my name is Steve Cuff, and I'm here today with Jake Trapila. Hey, I am the aforementioned Jake. How you doing, Steve? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing pretty shitty. Coleman! Same. Yeah, yeah, me too. What a, what a week. What a week, man. Like, so, you know, we, we're, we're living in Trump's America, and mm. the Trump presidency literally killed Leonard Cohen. That's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> He was a bummed out dude. Did you hear his new album that came out like two weeks ago? Uh, a little bit of it, yeah. Yeah, shit was dark. He I was reading coming. a lot of interviews with him too recently. He was he was ready. Yeah. You know what Much I think of this country, man? You know what I think? That's right. That'll make sense to almost no one. Uh, yeah, so... In honor of the month of October, which was 10 days ago, at Optimism Vaccine, we've been talking a lot about Canucksploitation. Jay Tropila wrote an incredible article that you can read on OptimismVaccine.com, and we did a cool two-part podcast about David Cronenberg, which you can listen to. And in fact, if you're listening to this one, I'm assuming you already listened to those, so you're on the right track. But we wanted to go a little bit deeper, a little bit off the beaten path, and talk about exploitation sort of broadly as a genre, but also some of the weird shit that you can find when you sort of dig around behind the cinematic couch <laughs> that is Canadian film. <laughs> this is like, and, and that's the kind of stuff we're going to be talking about today mostly, is just, it's, it's disgusting things. Just terrible, terrible, but amazing things. What the hell is exploitation, yeah. Steve Coleman? Well, exploitation would be clearly cinema from Canada. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> well, I, I didn't. I, I didn't see that coming. Specifically, uh, shoestring budget films from Canada, and there's something about these films that have what I could only best describe as a uniquely Canadian sensibility. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Well, and, and like I said, too, this is some real, like, we're talking real deep cuts that we're going to go into, today, <laughs> at least with a few of these movies. People always say, oh, you know, you guys talk about a lot of B-movies. That's cool. No, no, no. This is not B. This is, like, triple Z that we're going to be getting into here. This is just beyond anything that normal humans watch. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. be- before I forget, uh, 11-9. Never forget. 11-9? What I, oh, what happened then? Never forget. Never forget. I, f- I forgot already. It's, it's our new Mirror 911. Ah. 11-9. Get it? This uh-huh. too fast Tuesday? All right. I, I'm really sorry about that. Let's go onwards and upwards. Let's go forward. <laughs> you know, you already got this, this <laughs> podcast caught in a tailspin, Coleman. And that is a good example of exploitation right there. <laughs> <laughs> Films that lose focus. Oh, Lord. Which is narratively. Why, yeah. They're, they're perfect for this podcast. Jake, uh, yes, can you sir. can you illuminate the exploitation thing? Aside from essentially being garbage films and sometimes not garbage films from Canada, what are some other things that when you were writing your article and you were researching some of this and all the movies that you watched this past month, 
are there, are there any things that you picked up on where you could say this is a distinctly Canadian movie? Uh, yeah, a lot of it, uh, especially the Z grade films, are mainly guys hanging out and either drinking beers or looking at porn or making sandwiches. Um, a lot of them take place in the uh, harshest depths of winter, so there's snow everywhere. And uh, also a lot of fascination with uh, monsters and uh, practical effects like stop-motion animation or puppetry. So uh, think of it like if Kevin Smith had an aneurysm and no budget and he remade Evil Dead and that's essentially exploitation. <laughs> that's, that's a fair, fair way of describing it. Eloquently stated. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Let's, <laughs> let's start off with what I would consider to be my first real foray into this Z-grade cut-exploitation. Uh, and this one actually was introduced to me by one Stephen Coleman. Steve Coleman, yeah. what the fuck is Things? <laughs> things? Well, do you want me to go through a synopsis <laughs> here, or do you want me to just say what it is? Because what it is compared to what happens is very different. Mm. I don't think anybody can give a synopsis of this movie. You know, I, I was I was thinking about it. I actually went on Wikipedia because I'm like, oh, they'll have a real like a good concise summary so I can <laughs> I can break down all the plot points. And it has like the most mundane plot synopsis ever. It's just it's so it makes the movie sound like it's just so straightforward. It's just like, oh, uh, you know, some friends at a cabin play a tape and then monsters appear and they have to kill them. It's like, oh, well, that sounds like a pretty simple movie. No, no, no. This is not a simple movie. It's not made clear that this tape that they listen to is what makes the monsters appear. Um, Because I've seen this film at least five or six times, and I always forget that they listen to a tape, which, if I am remembering correctly, they find it on this device that they find in a freezer. Yeah, that's correct. I remember Mm -hmm. the freezer. Yeah. Well, and just to clarify things, they open up the refrigerator. They go, oh, man, there's a, there's a tape and a recorder here in this freezer. And then after that, our lead character, I guess he's the protagonist, sort of. I don't know. He, he then goes, oh, I'm going to take off my coat. And then he just puts his coat in the fridge and shuts the door. And then that's the last we hear about that. Just that was a really good impression, by the way. That was stellar. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, <laughs> I've read about this. And now you say protagonist. Are you referring to the guy with the hideous pedo stash? Yeah. Barry G. Glynis? Which, ah. wait, isn't that, no, he's, that's not the Optimus Vaccine writer. Is it, is it Giles or Glynis? <laughs> you know what? Actually, I think it is a form of Glynis. Oh, well, that makes sense. So, you know, Sean's mm. not so distant relative, uh, has a pedo Spelled stash. Spelled differently. But <laughs> well, we, we don't know that for sure. Uh, mm. it could, it could, we could be remembering it wrong, uh, but I, I like to think that Sean is related to a pedophile, which explains a lot of his behavior. <laughs> Just makes sense to me. Oh my um, god! Oh god! Yeah, <laughs> we've already discussed Myros's uh, various tendencies at length, so I won't get into him. But you know, two peas in a pod—that's why they they both like each other so much. So. <laughs> Yeah, uh, God, and we should we should talk about what these guys all look like too, because holy shit, this is just like Harmony Korine levels of people in a movie who look like they shouldn't be in movies. 
<laughs> one guy is just that's fair it's barry g barry j gillis by the way not Glennis. i'm sorry oh whatever i mean you know it's, huh. it's easy to confuse that guy with sean i can see why you maybe would. he changed it to get a sag card <laughs> or a or a, or i guess it would be a cag card if it's in canada <laughs> the canadian actors guild that that could <laughs> be it anyways go on <laughs> so these guys holy shit so there, there's Barry J, who has this this beautiful just quaffed mullet, and then the aforementioned pedo stash, and then there's this other guy who I th- the first time I saw it I thought he was going to be the protagonist because there's this intro sequence that features him prominently, but then later in the movie it doesn't seem like he matters that much. And this guy he's got the thing where. You're you're completely bald on top, like the dome is just shining, but you're still just clinging to this hair on the side, like a fucking furry horseshoe. <laughs> and but but like no effort at all to comb it. Like he's just like you know what I gotta I gotta cling to this shit. You gotta hold on loosely. I can't let go. I just gotta just let it go. <laughs> and then the other guy is he just looks like a lumberjack to me. He's got this uh, Jake Trapila beard and. It's just all close cropped, and uh, he's he's the most normal looking, but still very distinctly Canadian. But Jesus Christ, they all look like they're somewhere between the ages of twenty two and fifty two. They could be they could be any of those ages. <laughs> they had that like timeless Samuel Jackson quality to them, where you're not sure if they're a hundred or twenty five. <sighs> Jesus Christ, the the acid wash jeans give it away. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you talked about how you you always forget that they play the tape in the beginning, too, because I watched this movie. I've seen it like four times now, I think. And this is the first time I watched it sober when I watched it earlier today. (laughs) Which is a mistake. If you're following along at home, uh, don't do that. (laughs) I I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, The movie actually gets more confusing when you're not drinking heavily, believe it or not. But yeah, I can I can vouch for that. They they play this tape in the beginning, and it's it's clearly a nod to Evil Dead. They even make a reference like, "Oh, what's that? What's that movie? That's like you know they they find the tape in the basement." Uh, so they're they're you know referencing Evil Dead, and then after they play the tape, we have this sequence. Eventually, we get there where an alien like monster bursts out of this woman's uh, body. And we find out later that the reason that the thing burst out of her body was because she was trying to get pregnant, so they went to some doctor who impregnated her with monsters, I guess? Well, let's talk about the first scene of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> what is the first scene of this movie? I, cause um, I don't know what it is. From what I like, recall, it's, it's, <laughs> it's been a while since I've watched it, but from what I recall, it's a naked woman wearing a mask in a basement with some guy and he puts in her a closet and tries to impregnate her i guess mm-hmm. is that how it goes um, yeah what does he say like i'm not gonna have your baby yeah and then and then she like presents uh a in that exact him. dialect too yeah. and then he goes hey, hey, this this is how fucked up and weird and canadian this movie is she like presents this this baby to him well it, all we see is like the little baby carrier thing and he looks down and he goes Coochie, coochie, coochie. <laughs> like, it's three coochies. There's no coo. It's, it's very strange. It should be noted, too, that all 
majority of the dialogue here is all ADR. Oh, and not only that, it's ADR'd from memory. So they're not right. watching a screen of themselves and looping it back. They're trying to recall what they said and recording it over the the film that they have. Yeah, and it cannot be understated how utterly broken the sound in this movie is. It's mind blowing, <laughs> absolutely mind. Like you know, people always say, "Oh, it's the worst movie. It's the worst movie." And and maybe you can maybe you can say things is the worst movie, but. Whether or not you can agree with that, I, I think it's got a solid argument for worst sound mixing of all time. Like, I, I've never, ever in my entire life seen anything like it. So, like you guys said, it's ADR to hell. They're clearly not working from a script, and I sincerely believe there was no script to begin yeah. with. Just like some post-it notes with a few ideas. And so... Sometimes they're talking, like we, we hear their voices, but their lips aren't moving. Other times their lips are moving and nobody's talking. Um, there's all kinds of crackling. Like you can hear them where they're, they're sitting back from the mic and it sounds normal. And then they get off like this. <laughs> you hear them dropping the mic, moving the microphone. It sounds like they're passing the microphone between two or three people. And you can just hear them like shuffling. It's just like, oh, no, man. What's in this sandwich? Oh, it's my special recipe. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Actual line from that movie. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, uh-huh. I'm, I'm just like them. I'm doing it from memory. <laughs> but it's... I, I, I don't understand this movie. And there's so many times, too, where, like, a song will start to play, and then all the other sound effects will cut out. Or other times where that's not the case, so I know that they have the technology to, you know, make a functional movie on some level. And I believe Striker 9, <laughs> the name of the band who does the soundtrack, I believe the bearded fellow in the movie who disappears because of spontaneous combustion, I've read about this, he shows up again later in the movie with a chainsaw, but it's his band, Striker 9, that makes up the music for the song. Ah. Which that wait, wait is it Striker Nine or is it Strick Nine? Maybe it's Strick Nine. Is this it's a Giles so, Lunas? <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, like I said, the bearded fella. I think it's his band. Okay, that makes sense. Hey Steve, you mentioned music. Give us a taste of what these, one of these songs sounds like from sure. the film. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned that. So, and this is a movie that is very, very proud of its music, uh, mostly because it never stops playing for most of the movie. And the other reason is, when the opening credits roll, the first thing they tell you is the Things theme is by this band, and the rest of the music is by this Like, it is the A number one most important thing. And here's a little treat of what that sounds, or taste of what that sounds like. This is Jesus fuck. <laughs> All right, here we go. You boys ready? Just wait, it gets better. Can't you just picture him with like his his 
$90 Epiphone guitar and that little tiny, like, <laughs> Marshall uh, mini amp that people use. Like, it, it just, it sounds like he started playing the beginning to Stairway to Heaven, and then he couldn't actually play it, so he plays some, like, fucked up version of it. And then when he gets into the rocking out part, it's just like your older brother's grunge band from when he was in ninth grade or something. Like, holy fuck. <laughs> I like to think maybe he was recording this in his dad's basement and his dad said, son, your life's in a tailspin. Move out. And then he just said, you got yourself in a tailspin. And oh, then he man. That makes the most there. sense. Just like how they wrote Ring of Fire. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, the two best songs of our time. <laughs> I mean, this this song is so bad. This guy's life is in such a fucking tailspin that he could not be bothered to find someone to play drums for him, which makes the <laughs> rock out part even better because you can tell there's supposed to be like big drum fills and there's just nothing. Which is why didn't they use the uh, Casio, the cheap Casio drum machine that shows up later in one of the songs towards the film's climax? Yeah, and th- that's the theme that we see throughout things where this is a, a zero budget movie that has a ton of problems, but. Mm-hmm. So many of the problems could be clearly remedied. Like, there's just... You have the technology to fix a few things to make this movie more functional. And you just don't. You don't at all. Yeah. (laughs) And... (laughs) I'm not really sure how much of this film can be fixed without even a competent story. Because the second half of this movie is just tedious shots of guys hatcheting and drilling these giant ant monster puppets. <laughs> after, the, after they spend five minutes wiping blood off of each other with a whole roll of paper towel. That, yeah, that too. Yeah, that part's good. Or trying to scare... Or, or the, there's that five-minute-long piss break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're just repeatedly trying to scare each other as one is on watch while the other guy goes to the bathroom to pee his D. Yeah. That yeah. that's that's a great scene too, and it kind of it's another thing that really encapsulates what this movie is all about. Not only does the piss scene take like five minutes, but on top of that, they spend a good two minutes just talking about going pee. Just I think yeah. I'm gonna piss. Yeah, pissing would be good. Hope a monster very... doesn't eat my dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very reminiscent of a of a Michael Haneke film or something. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> oh my god, the white ribbon, more like the yellow stream, baby. Uh, yeah, there's it's just... just the entire film is a fever dream of epic proportions, and that seems like a very hyperbolic term to use. And it's even this no, I'm even kind of annoyed at myself that I just used it, but I think it's perfectly adequate too. Yeah, especially yeah. if you're watching it sober. <laughs> but even if you aren't, I mean. Yeah. It like I just have this like creepy feeling every time I watch it. Like it just makes my skin crawl. And then I'll put it away for a few months and I'll feel good about it. Like I'll laugh about it and I laugh talking about it like I am right now. But then I'll sit and watch it and I just like I I need a shower or an entire roll toilet of uh, paper towel. It's a very grimy movie. Which, and not because it's super exploitative and this and that. It's it's kind of tame, honestly. Yeah. Well, aside from yeah. the, uh, you know, the full frontal uh, featuring Superbush in the first, like, 30 seconds of the movie. But other yep. than that... A young George W. Bush makes an appearance as a woman's vagina. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's quite impressive. Who knew? <laughs> Sorry. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, and then uh, what's her name? The porn star makes an appearance as a young yeah. Billy Bush. <laughs> Reading cue cards the entire time that are clearly not underneath the camera. Oh, God. Yeah. No, they're to the right of the they're <laughs> to the camera. Yeah, let's let's talk a little Amber bit Lynn. about Amber Lynn and her role in this movie. I I watched a lot of the special features for this, which we could talk about that a little bit too, because there's some weird shit in here. But I also read an interview with uh, whatever f- fucking Sean Glynis, Jay Giles band, whatever this guy's name is. <laughs> and first of all, he claimed that this movie cost thirty five thousand dollars. I don't well, know how much that is in Canada bucks. You know, I don't know how many loonies or toonies that is. But that seems like a very large sum of money for something that does not reflect any amount of money whatsoever. Especially when we get into talking about one of the other movies that we watch for this podcast. That's most of that has to be Anne Berlin's salary. I would imagine. This is a $5,000 movie, max, and that includes, like, we bought the camera and paid for the film processing and everything else, and then $30,000 for a porn star. So (laughs) her stuff, like, they finished the movie, and then they thought that the best way to get distribution was to have, like, a person that actually was a name human being, and the best they could do is Amberlynn the porn star. And these poorly shot, poorly staged... TV newsroom segments that are spliced in with her. They and have... she's clearly like in some television repair shop. Yeah, that's ex- it. Looks like the 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 stage from uh, like Red Letter Media or something. You know, like the VCR yeah. repair shop. It's it's, it's just insane. three broken TVs on a table. Yeah, and it has nothing to do like the the news footage and stuff. It has nothing to do with the actual movie. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Not that anything does. The first thing that crossed my mind in this movie when, you know, I don't know, monsters burst from a woman's pregnant stomach. Why don't you leave? And they're like, oh, man, it's a nine-mile hike, man. Oh, geez. Hey, fuckhead, you drove here. Get in your car. (laughs) It's a ten-minute drive. What are you doing? But uh, Uh. anyways, there's there's so many weird things. Like, they made all of the creatures themselves. Uh... Apparently there was like 40 or 50 creatures that they crafted for this movie. Jesus. And they were made out of foam rubber and uh, crab legs that they bought in Chinatown in Toronto. <laughs> so that's also terrifying because those things had to smell like shit. Would you just have like rotten crab covered in fake blood just on your movie set for days on end? I suppose it helped them with their method acting. Yeah. Yeah, you know it's weird. This movie is with that budget and all those creatures. This movie was shot by people who look like they had no that they had no intention to make a movie. No, that's exactly they, what it looks like. It's it's insane. It's it's just like it's like they all got drunk, and then they happened to have a camera, and they were just like, "Oh, you know, why don't we just uh, let's pretend to make a horror movie? You know, give it a go, see what we got." And then they got drunk again and edited it, and then they got drunk again and distributed it. Like, they, I, I, it, this does not feel like anyone is making a movie. I, I don't know what the fuck things is. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you. Which means I can only give it my highest endorsement possible. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and at the end of the movie, after the credits roll, or right before the credits roll, there, there's a screen that just says, you have just experienced things. 
which is probably the most appropriate way to end the movie things. <laughs> I can't yeah. think of a better way. Yeah, and also in the opening credits, they, they repeat the name of the film twice, just so you were, in case you didn't know what you were watching. It's things. <laughs> it's things, guys. You know, maybe you've heard of it. And oh, things. Jay Giles' band is a maniac, <laughs> too. He's completely nuts. He uh. thinks that he's created a masterpiece. So there's this really uncomfortable, uh, like, b- behind-the-scenes uh, mini-featurette thing or something, and it's him at some horror convention, and he, like, grabs Toby Hooper out of nowhere, <clears throat> and he's just like, oh, man, you gotta see the trailer for my movie, man. Like, you're gonna, this is just, it's the coolest movie, man. Sits Toby Hooper down, and then a camera films Toby Hooper watching the trailer to things, and he's just like, yeah, yeah, you're, uh, you're, cer- you're certainly making something here. This is something. He's like, yeah, man, it's just, no one's ever done anything like this before. He's a fucking maniac. <laughs> Have you ever seen his music videos? He's he is a musician too. He wasn't part of the band's music that was in the movie, but uh, oh boy, do yourselves a favor and and they're like somewhat contemporary. Like they weren't made that long ago, but he has a music video where he's like in like rip off kiss makeup and he's like creepily like stalking this younger woman. <laughs> God. And the weird thing is, he looks younger now than he did almost 30 years ago Jesus well I mean at least he's aging gracefully all that Hollywood money paying for his Canadian Botox uh, you know another weird thing about this movie is it's it's so cheap and grimy looking and it, it really does look like dog shit like there is not a single frame of this film that is framed properly or in focus or you could you could go through just frame by frame through the entire movie, and you could find something wrong in each one of those frames. <laughs> and in one of the interviews I read with him, the guy asked him, he's like, so why didn't you guys just shoot this on tape? Like, why did you choose to shoot it on Super 8? And the reason he gave was because he thought that the tape footage didn't look good. And then he said, yeah, and we shot a few things on Super 8, and we were just like, man, this footage looks amazing. But then when they transferred it to VHS, it looked like shit. So I don't know what happened. But thankfully, when they released the DVD, they rescanned the negative, And now it looks amazing again. It does not look amazing. <laughs> you know, I, I understand art is subjective. But under what <laughs> criteria does this movie look even remotely okay? It looks like somebody just took, like, Grandpa's 8mm camera and just, like, rub shit over a snuff film it's it's insanity <laughs> i i just i i don't know i i can't wrap my head around oh <laughs> <laughs> anything else to say about things i don't know jake g- give us give us the the closing thoughts on things uh what, what do people do with this movie what do you do with this where do i begin if you are caught in some sort of rabbit hole or a tailspin and you've had a few to drink and you're looking for something there you go all right yeah and you're looking for uh it's late at night and you're just looking for something uh you're not quite tired but you don't want to watch anything that'll uh i don't know you'll need to put much thought into 
find a copy of things and put it on and then just uh, let it wash over you like, uh, I don't know, like some kind of sexual assault and <laughs> see what happens. Like a slurry of <laughs> diarrhea across yeah. your chest. It, it's probably best to avoid watching it alone, maybe. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, don't do what I do and watch it sober and it's at like seven o'clock at night for a research for a podcast. <laughs> do it with a group of friends. Get a lot of beers. Get some sandwiches. You'll be good to go. Get a lot of sandwiches. Mm. Yeah, You're gonna definitely do it in the need a lot of dead sandwiches. of winter too. Oh Jesus, this movie! It, it, it is potentially fun with a large group of people. Oh yeah, if you got people in beer, yeah. it's, a, it's a good movie. Exactly. Uh, Jesus Christ. Well, but yeah. It's pretty poorly made. It makes Birdemic look like Apocalypse Now. <laughs> I want to I wanna use this to transition into a movie which Jake, unfortunately, didn't have the chance to watch. But no. based on your taste in films, Jake, I would say this is a exploitation movie that you should seek out. I would recommend blind buying it. I am, I am that enthused <laughs> by it. Steve Coleman and I sat down with this one along with Myros and... Uh, uh, what a, Barry G. Gillis. Yeah, Barry G. Gillis. <laughs> Sean Glennis, whatever. <laughs> it's called Phobe, the Xenophobic Experiments. So things he's going to love made, this episode. Yeah, he's gonna, it's going to be great. Hi, Sophie. How you doing? <laughs> just, just talking about how your boyfriend's a child molester. Um, or, you know, has a pedo stash, one or the other. Anyway, <laughs> so this movie was made... Phobe was made for 200 100 just 100 not 100,000 200 dollars wow which is I would argue you could say it looks like it was made for 35 grand yeah I well you know what <laughs> if 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 we had if this is like price is right where they they show like the the five items and you got to match the price with the item or whatever I would not say yeah. thing I would say things is the 200 dollar movie for sure it, does Phobe oh. look like $35,000? No, but it looks like maybe $3,000 or $5,000. Uh, this is a movie where – so to things credit, it's not a way I ever thought I would start a, a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> the basic core concept of we've just got some guys and they're in a house. Let's keep it simple. Let's keep it confined. You know, simple in the sense that, you know, there's no big action set pieces. It's small enough of a movie that if it wasn't a movie made by incompetent maniacs, it would probably work a little bit better. Phobe is Hmm. a movie that somehow succeeds to a degree, despite being way, 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 way too ambitious. This is the equivalent of someone deciding, you know what, I saw Doctor Strange last week. I'm going to make a Doctor Strange movie. <laughs> so, Phobe is basically like Terminator and Predator mixed together. There's a an intergalactic bounty hunter oh. who has landed on Earth to find a, a, a evil alien called a Phobe, which is just a guy in a ghillie suit with a rubber mask on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but... The other thing that's that's kind of cool about this movie is the reason they were able to make it is because they all worked to everybody that was involved in this movie. They were all friends, and a lot of them worked together at the local public access station in Niagara Falls, Canada. 
So hmm. they had access to the studio. They had access to equipment. And because it's kind of a small town, everybody in the town was just like, oh, wow, you're making a movie? That's great. Here you go. So there's like there's, there's literally – there's I want Canadian point. Steve to be a recurring character on this podcast. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> well, if we, if we talk about uh, if we talk about American movie, that's also my Mark Borchard voice. So you got that too. But th- there's oh, a kick scene. fucking ass. I got a Mastercard, man. It's uh, it's Coven. It's it's not Coven, man. That sounds like oven. It's Coven. It will work. <laughs> so th- there's the scene in Phobe where it it hits, of course, the Canucks exploitation standard of let's walk around in the wilderness and nothing's going to happen for like 10 minutes. But all of a sudden out of nowhere, there's this almost beautiful sweeping crane shot. And you're like, yeah, what the fuck? Like, did, did they tie a a camera to a bunch of helium balloons and just like, they got lucky. (laughs) (laughs) That's where I questioned the $200 budget. Uh huh. So I remember shouting that at the screen when we saw that. Exactly. So, uh, I I watched all of the special features on this DVD (laughs) and there are several interviews with the woman who wrote and directed Phobe. And she was talking about how the community, basically help them out. She's like, yeah, you know, we, we got to use the studio and, you know, the local bar was fine with us uh, filming in there. And then, you know, I knew, I knew we needed like a crane shot. So I went to my, my cousin, uh, Eddie, and I was like, Eddie, you know, uh, you, you know anybody with a crane? And he, he told me to go to Marge and Marge was just like, yeah, just tell me where to bring the crane. You can use it all day. What? You just fucking borrowed a crane? Who has a crane? So and and the same thing too. There's this whole sequence at the end where they basically do the uh, the end sequence to Terminator in the factory, and they're in a fucking factory. There's another crane there. There's you know all these big shots and everything. And it was just because her uncle worked at a factory. I was just like, oh yeah, you guys come in. Just make sure it's a Sunday because nobody's working, and I'll just unlock it. You can do whatever you want. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> so the lesson here to aspiring filmmakers is just be a nice person in a small town and just, basically be a Canadian. Yeah. Exactly. And that is why this is probably the most uniquely Canadian movie I've ever seen because it only got made because these are nice Canadian people in a small Canadian town. And they're just like And the, I was watching some of those DVD supplements with you too and they're like the most humble people. Mm-hmm. on the face of the earth like they're just they're not gloating about the movie at all they're just they're extremely proud of it but they're also really very like pragmatic and realistic about what it actually is yeah which is really refreshing because one of the things that i notice with these movies that people lump into the so bad it's good category is more often than not they're auteur driven movies Featuring maniacs who think they've made like Citizen fucking Kane or some shit. And these people were like, no, you know, we just, we had an idea and we thought it'd be fun and we made a movie together in college and, you know, we just wanted to do it again. It's like, oh, that's really nice. The other cool thing about this movie is it gained kind of like a, 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 I wouldn't even say a cult following, but it's almost like a folk movie, if that makes sense. Because since it was released in the mid 90s, it wasn't released on like home video or anything. It just played on this public access channel that the woman uh, who made it, she still works there and they would just use it to fill time. 
So, oh, it's 2 a.m. What's public access going to show? Oh, you know, we'll just throw on Fulb. So everybody <laughs> in that part of Canada that, that were, was able to tune into this, everybody knows the movie. And they love it because it's just this hokey thing where they recognize, you know, the sites and the people and things like that. And it's almost like, yeah, like cinematic comfort food to them, which is crazy to think about. Like a, a movie that's so – it's not even regional. It's just like a hyper-local cult classic basically that somehow got a release on DVD. It's absolutely wild. Who released this on DVD? Uh, Intervision, which is a subsidiary of Severin, I believe. Uh, same people oh, the, who release things. Yeah, and uh, the Sinful Dwarf. And the Sinful Dwarf. God bless the Sinful Dwarf. <laughs> I've got more toys upstairs! <laughs> I'm trying to imagine a Canadian version of Sinful Dwarf. Ooh. Uh, you want to play with my toys, eh? Well, sure, go ahead, go ahead then, okay? It sounds oddly Hispanic for I've some got, reason. I've got <laughs> more toys in my ice fishing cabin. <laughs> I don't. Hey! You want chicken balls? <laughs> There's poutine down here, I'll show you. I have maple syrup in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like my new flannel? This is good, you know, and this I've talked about how we really need to start broadening our audience, and I think the way to do it is to uh, <laughs> reference another episode of our podcast. Yeah, yeah, and, and particularly one <laughs> featuring uh, a super obscure movie about a murderous sex fiend dwarf, but Canadian. I don't know if you caught my uh, chicken ball reference, by the way, but when you watch like the supplemental material for Phobe, they're constantly talking about how they get together and eat chicken balls to watch this movie. And Cuff and I were both like, what the fuck is a chicken ball? Like, they keep talking about them. <laughs> yeah, it's some mystical Canadian food. It's, and all it is, it's just a fucking chicken nugget in ball form. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's, that's why they do things different up there, you know? <laughs> Everything's, oh, we measure in kilometers. Nuggets are balls. Ugh. Chicken nuggets? No, fuck you. It's chicken ball. That's right. Putting vinegar on hey. the French fries. Just they're trailblazers, man. But yeah, if Phobe is it's fucking awesome. I watched <laughs> the trailer. It's got that uh, Inception music backing it up and uh, some laser effects. I think I'll have to seek this one out. Mm-hmm. I am glowing say, recommendation. Intervision slash Severin, if you're listening right now. Guys, we need a Blu-ray of Phobe. Here's why. The version of Phobe that we have is not the original. This is the George Lucas version. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Now, <laughs> unlike George Lucas's Star Wars revisions, there is an argument here that this is actually a better version of Phobe. Mostly because while it's updated... The CGI that they updated with, because this movie was made in like the early to mid-90s, and they wanted to update the special effects, so they used like late 90s special effects. <laughs> so it's really jarring and weird, and it just looks like, I, I don't know, you just, you just have to see it. And there's certain parts of it, too, because again, there's another like behind-the-scenes feature where they talk about like, you know, oh, restoring phobe or whatever. And there are scenes that they have actually made demonstrably worse by in like a goofy jarring way 
by revisiting the special effects. Like, uh, the original effect for the, the spaceship of the phobe, it was just like a, like a model that they made. And there's this scene where it kind of flies in over this house. And they replaced that with some, like, bizarro green screen CGI nonsense. But, like, the sky above the house, you can clearly see where they just, like, cut and pasted the sky over this house. And it looks absolutely ridiculous. So, they have a few scenes where they show the original special effects, and they're goddamn amazing. So, instead of... By the way, Jake, there's lightsabers in this movie. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, shit. (laughs) No way. Uh Uh-huh. So they, they are semi-legit lightsabers in the doctored version that we are given. But in the original, it, it just it looks fucking incredible. It looks like an MTV bumper from like 1992. It's like somebody took a, a green magic marker and just drew on like the tip of a broomstick or something. It's fucking incredible. <laughs> so I'm telling you, Severin, if you're listening... I want this on Blu-ray. I want the original version. I need multiple versions of Phobe. You're selling me short. Well, I think you sold me, Steve. I'm going to have to track down a copy of Phobe post-haste. It's change.org. <laughs> change.org. Yeah, I'm going to start my change.org petition to release the original yeah. version of Phobe. No, it's, it's legit. Like, it's, it's fun. It's watchable. It's charming. And it just... It, it feels nice. Like, even before I knew these people weren't insane or complete assholes or anything, like, they're good people, and it shows in the movie. It's just, it's really good-natured. It's nice. It's refreshing. All right. Jake, I think we need to shift gears a little bit. I do want to talk sh- about Rock and Roll Nightmare <laughs> briefly. And then yeah. I, I think we should end with you maybe going a little bit deeper into some of the... Uh, you know, some of the movies you watched that had a budget that was more than like a bag of peanuts and 50 cents. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, you want to touch on uh, Rock and Roll Nightmare briefly? Yeah, let's talk about John Michael Thor. Sure. You know, uh, t- tell me about your experience with Rock and Roll Nightmare. So uh, Rock and Roll Nightmare, about two weeks ago, I flew to Milwaukee and I uh, met these guys and we had a weekend at Steve's place. Just to um, watch Rock and Roll Nightmare on DVD, no other reason. Yeah, just to watch Rock and Roll Nightmare. <laughs> no. And uh, he's like, hey, we want to watch this. I got a copy. I'm like, yeah, I'll fly right over. And so we sit down on the couch and uh, some of us have had a few and we put it on and it's a story about a rock band that comes to a house that seems to be secluded in the woods and they're there to uh, record their latest album, but something demonic lives in the house, and it's killing them off one by one. And it's up to the lead singer, Thor, uh, to do battle with the this rock and roll nightmare, as they say. <laughs> and it's weird because <clears throat> this one was shot on video, it seems, and it's almost jarringly crisp. The way that it looks, like it looks like it could have been shot yesterday, except everyone has terrible hair. That's what, yeah, the the remaster of this DVD is almost too good because it looks like it was shot on somebody's video cam five years ago. And I asked you that and you said, no, man, this is from the 80s. Yeah, 1987. Sure, sure enough, 87, yeah. It's, it's completely nuts. This is a weird one, too, because, you know, Canada... God bless them. They were trying to have their own little Axl Rose in the world. And so there was this guy, Thor, the titular John Michael Thor. <laughs> and 
he basically he was Canada's hair metal god, except he never got particularly famous. Like he got just famous enough so that people know who he is, but he's like super fringe hair metal guy. And and one of the ways that they wanted to, you know, sort of push him more into the the spotlight was through this film, which I'm guessing not that many people saw in 1987. Uh, but it, it prominently features the music of John Michael Thor, which is goddamn amazing if you haven't heard it. Oh, yeah. What's the one song you uh, uh, had us all stop talking friend. to listen to? Here we go. Yeah. Jesus Christ. This is fucking great. Yeah, I know. It's that fucking guitar, man. Shout Michael Thor! This is, uh... He, he won both the Mr. Canada and Mr. USA titles as a bodybuilder. Really? Wow. Wow. I mean, he, he does have the body of a Greek god. I'll give him that. And incredible hair. Just... He's, he looks like, uh... He looks like Farrah Fawcett with muscles. I gotta say, Trump may have just won the presidency two days ago, but this song is giving me will to live. Keep I know, it going. Right? Yeah, let's keep it going. I think I think we need John Michael Thor in the background while we, we talk about this movie. I yeah, agree. The, I mean, the only thing Mike- left to, to get your dick hard in Trump's America is uh, John Michael <laughs> Thor and energy. Oh, God. This- that chorus rocks, man. You know, this movie, one of the points of conflict for me is I was wondering, are the people in this movie actually the people in John Michael Thor's band? Or are they (laughs) actors playing Thor's band while Thor actually plays? And I kind of go back and forth on it because on the one hand, they're incompetent as actors. So I assume, well, you know, it's probably because they're musicians. But then, you know, you watch the performances, and like two-thirds of them don't seem to actually be playing anything. Like, there's a woman playing keyboard, but she's clearly just mashing it with both of her palms. And the drummer is, let's just say he's not good. <laughs> but I think, I think the best part about this whole performance scene, which goes on forever, is it's lit by, <laughs> like... If you go to, like, a, a mom-and-pop Italian restaurant and they have those, like, red glass candles, the whole scene is just lit by those. They're all over the fucking place. Like, the camera's just panning around. You're like, oh, that's a lot of red glass candles. <laughs> it's, it's just, oh, God. So, yeah, I mean, if, if you like hair metal and uh, uh, phallic monsters, I, this, uh, this is a great movie. Yeah. Doesn't one of the monsters pop out of a guy at some point? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like uh, Freddy's Revenge, the second nightmare. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Uh. I'm telling you, man, if, it, it's important that people are listening to this. Because you need to understand, if you move into Canada, because we're living in Trump's America, you've got to understand the cinema yeah. of Canada. And That's right. You know what? I, I think if you, if you apply for Canadian citizenship, I know like, if you apply for American citizenship, you have to answer like a, a, a test or something about your knowledge. And mm-hmm. I sincerely believe that you should be able to at least sing the chorus to Energy by Thor. 
Or uh, you know how in like always in TV and film, whenever people travel to Hawaii, there's always the Hawaii episode. And when they get off the plane, there's just these Hawaiian girls that put lays on all the passengers. Yeah. Which, is, which isn't true. When you go to Canada, everybody should just hand you a copy of John Michael Thor's album. I think that'd be a good way. To, like that's that's a good introduction, you know. Yeah, that that I mean, he's he's pretty much he's Canada, but he also has that that essence of a god. So it's like you know exactly. what? We're badass. We're muscular. We have beautiful flowing blonde hair. Yeah, and we also kick out great tunes. It's like say you want to live here. This is your religion. If not, mm-hmm. there's the door. There's the door. <laughs> Don't let it hit you on the way out. On the way, jump into Lake Erie, <laughs> you idiots. Uh. They tell them to do. Hey, why don't you go jump in a lake like uh, maybe Erie or St. Clair or, uh, you know, Lake Michigan or Superior? Any of the great ones, they'll, they'll all do. That's another Canadian for you. All right. So we've got, we've got our, our holy trinity of Canadian schlock. We've got things. We've got phobe. We've got John Michael motherfucking Thor and Rock and Roll Nightmare. All classics, which should be watched mm-hmm. by any budding exploitation cinephile. Jake... Real talk. You wrote an article about exploitation. I did. What are, what are some of the more, we'll, we'll call them mainstream accepted exploitation films? Absolutely. Um, one that's on the article that I, I've loved for oh, over a decade now is a film called Black Christmas, which is, uh, to me, it's the original slasher. All you really need to know is that it takes place on uh, Christmas time in a sorority house, and a maniac breaks into the attic of these college girls and is making obscene phone calls to them before killing them off one by one. Mm-hmm. It is terrifically atmospheric. The phone calls are super unsettling. Um, yeah. You'll also see it stars a stars a young Margot Kidder and Olivia Hussey, and uh, I think it's a, a wonderful film. I re- watch it every year. Have you, you've seen it before, I presume, right? Oh, absolutely. And I also want yeah. to remind our listeners, Optimism Vaccine is for the children. And if uh, you are a young man right now and you're saying, how am I going to find a prom date? What am I going to do? I would recommend uh, just you know calling up a girl and just playing uh, you know the, the Billy from Black Christmas soundboard. That always worked for me. That's a terrific <laughs> idea. Have you seen Black Christmas, Stephen Coleman? Uh, only the remake with Andrea Martin. Oh, Jesus. Oh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> can, we, can we talk about that movie? Because the remake is just jaw-droppingly terrible. And it's it's awesome because they they have this thing where they're like, man, you know what the the killer from Black Christmas needs? He needs a catchphrase. Oh. So that was their big that was their big modification to it. So in the remake, anytime he kills someone, he goes, You're my family now. Oh, not only that, Steve. Not only did they think, <laughs> hey, does he need a catchphrase? He needs a goddamn backstory. 30 <laughs> minutes of that film is the childhood of the killer who was born with jaundiced skin and was fucked by his mother who gave birth to his sister daughter and they grew up to be a pair of homicidal maniacs who kill girls. Yep. It's uh, yeah. not, not, a, it's, not a good way to handle things. It's, it's garbage. I don't it's one know of the why worst so many, things I've ever seen. Horror remakes do that all the time. They're like, man... What are we going to do? I don't know. Let's tell a condensed version of the original story, and then it's not long enough, so we'll pad it out to 90 minutes with 30 minutes of just, you know, bullshit, basically. Yeah. Just all, just, just yeah. Just suck the mystery right out of it. Well, that's kind of like with the, the Halloween <laughs> remake. It's like, oh, yeah, let's spend the first 45 minutes to an hour just talking about, oh, look at me. I'm 12-year-old Michael Myers. That's great. Mm. That's really what we wanted. 
Oh, Rob Zombie. Uh, yeah, no, Black Christmas is great. Now, real talk, though, uh, Billy says horrible things into the phone, and so much so that I, I was shocked the first time that I watched that movie, because you could tell like it's very of the 1970s, and just to hear the types of things that he says to people in that movie, you're like, holy shit, I didn't know you could do that in 1976. Yeah, and what's great about uh, Black Christmas is that it's directed by the guy who made A Christmas Story, which is played for 24 hours every year. Mm-hmm. I would prefer if they would play Black Christmas for 24 hours every year. Oh, me too. Much Uncut. better time. Yeah, people always refer to Black Christmas as, you know, they go, oh, well, Halloween was the first slasher. Black Christmas is like a proto-slasher. But people who no. say that are assholes who like the smell of their own flatulence. And <laughs> I think part of the reason why they get... People named Michael J. Gillis, perhaps. Yeah, or uh, maybe Sean Glenn is. <laughs> people who get hung up on that shit, I think one of the reasons why is because... It is a really Canadian movie. Like, well, you're ruining their childhood. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, ghost bros. Uh, so, Black Christmas comes highly recommended. Um, another really cool film I watched uh, is a zombie film called Pontypool, yeah. which <laughs> is a uh, zombie film where the zombies, uh, in it, you get infected if you use certain words in the English language. Mm-hmm. It's a very linguistically driven film, and one guy's working late night at a radio station, and he sort of figures it out, and they uh, hole up in the radio station, almost Assault on Precinct 13 style, while uh, massive zombies come to where they're broadcasting from. And uh, it's a pretty clever and inventive film. I enjoyed it deeply. I think it's streaming on Netflix if you're looking for just a chilling night in, as they say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, Pontypool's great. And totally came out of nowhere, too. I think he's the, the guy who directed Pontypool. He wrote and directed a new movie, which I haven't watched yet. Uh, but mm. that's on Netflix, too. But yeah, Pontypool is, again, it deals with, <laughs> one, the oppressive Canadian wilderness plays a big role because it's, you know, it's snowing. They're kind of snowed in at this radio station. Um, yeah. It's a slow-moving movie. It, it's a horror film. It's a zombie film. But the zombies are kind of secondary to what's going on. Uh, again, very Canadian in that regard. And it's also, it's smart as shit because you can tell this guy has no money at all, but he's got a good, just central idea that can only be done in a small, confined space. So it, it makes really good use of the, the small space that it's in and just being smart with not having a lot. It's yeah, and really I th- good. Yeah, so- yeah, and aside from, I think, the opening scene, the entire film takes place inside this very uh, almost claustrophobic DJ station. And uh, it looks great, too. He shoots the hell out of the the location, mm-hmm. makes great use of it, and the, the various sound rooms to separate themselves from the zombies from. Um, and, uh, yeah, I uh, really enjoy it. It's quite a nice find. Yeah, I'd say, you know, if you're, if you're a young Canadian filmmaker... And you want to get some pointers from the Canadian filmmaking elders. <clears throat> I would say watch things so you know exactly what not to do. And then watch Pontypool so you know exactly what to do. And that's, that's probably your best bet. <laughs> Were there any other ones that you watched this month that, you, that really stuck out to you? Uh, you mentioned Prom Night. Um, I watched, there's a film called Prom Night, which also has a wretched American remake. No, but Jesus, the original yeah. is Canadian and it stars a young... Oh, like uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, and it's about a killer who's targeting a bunch of teens at their prom night. And if you want to see 
Jamie Lee Curtis bust into a disco dance for eight minutes, this is oh, the movie shit. for you. <laughs> is, it, is she wearing the same outfit as she wore in True Lies? Hubba hubba. No, no, she doesn't have that thong. Oh. Or she, maybe she does. She's wearing a dress over it, though. And Sean Glenn is just uh, his, his ears just peaked, perked up. <laughs> uh, yeah, Prom Night is it's it's a fun little movie, but it's it's certainly yeah. dated. Like it's there's I, correct me if I'm wrong. Was My Bloody Valentine was that Canadian too? That was another one I watched. Also has a terrible American remake. Hey, it's about hey. a, a miner that comes to town after being seemingly killed in a mining. Uh, cavern collapse and uh that one actually has some pretty cool deaths in it if you're looking for that um and both of these films only run like 89 minutes does it include the death of kevin shield's heart (laughs) i don't know what that means um (laughs) the shoegaze reference there (laughs) the head the lead guy of uh, my bloody valentine ah course uh no you know you you, you shit not. on the the remake jake and do i need to remind you of who stars in the remake of my bloody valentine uh jensen ackles from adam myros's favorite program uh the, no the correct well that's true but the correct answer is tom motherfucking atkins oh that's right now, not necessarily Canadian. I did watch Halloween three just this past month, and um, which also uh, sec- second best Halloween film, I will say. Yep, I agree with you. That's that's the hot take. Slate dot yeah. com, print that shit. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, we should start wrapping things up. Uh, yeah, you got. I'll you throw got out any, one more if you want. Yeah, throw out one more. You looking for a more? Uh, I would say a more refined film, not some kind of teen slasher film. I would recommend the. I know you're not really a fan, Steve, but I recommend The Changeling with George C. Scott. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays a man whose uh, wife and child are killed in a terrible automobile accident. He moves into a large house, and uh, some creepy ghost shit starts going down. Yeah. yeah. Alternate title was Spooky Patton, but it didn't, you know, do the <laughs> test audience. <laughs> Why don't you think that title stuck? What was I, I don't problem? know. It's great because the opening is just him standing in front of a. a American flag, except he's transparent because he's a ghost and he's got like chains. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, spooky Patton. Spooky Patton. Okay. On that note, <laughs> <laughs> Coleman, what are you putting over? Ooh, what am I putting over? You fucking loser. Come up with something. Uh, Jake, go first. I'll have something in a second. <laughs> okay. I'm putting over the fourth and final season of Rectify, which just started again on the Sundance channel. I believe we're at three episodes in at this point, and uh, if you're not familiar with Rectify, it is a beautiful show about a guy who was accused of uh, raping and murdering a girl and was released 20 years later due to some circumstantial evidence. And it's sort of his readjustment into society after being away so long and how he's trying to be ac- reacclimate himself and how the town still feels he committed this horrible crime and also how his family is dealing with him being back in their lives. And uh, this is the final season that's airing, but if you want a nice, terrific, slow-burn show, I would say give Rectify a whirl. First three seasons are on Netflix. Cool. Uh, I'm putting over Spooky Patton. It's uh, the spookiest film of 1982. Uh, No, I'm not putting over Spooky Patton. (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna put over a band called Creative Adults, 
and they have a brand new album that just came out like last month, a couple weeks ago, I think. It's super, super good. It's like West Coast Seattle. You can tell they listen to their older brother's grunge records, but you probably shouldn't call them a grunge band because uh, uh, it's a little not grungy. But <laughs> it's just it's just good, loud rock and roll music that's smart, and you should listen to it. Creative Adult, Google that shit. Actually, don't Google it because you'll probably get a bunch of dumb shit that you don't want to see. <laughs> Coleman, what are you putting over? Uh, I'm also going to put over uh, some music. And this is actually an album that is over a year old, but I somehow flew under my radar and I just discovered it. A group called Stealing Sheep, which is a trio from Liverpool, I believe. Mm-hmm. Three women from Liverpool, uh, sort of an electro pop outfit. And I've been listening to their 2015 album, Not Real, after hearing them on some independent radio station while I was in Michigan. And I can't get enough of this record. Like, I wish I would have discovered it when it came out. Um, But uh, regardless, uh, it's just um, some really good, very interesting electronic pop. And um, if you're looking for a teaser, I would just uh, look up the music video for the song Apparition, which features them doing Morris dancing. If you don't know what Morris dancing is, you will after you see the music video. All right. Sounds good, man. All right. As always, if you want to follow us, ask us questions, find more shit out. First things first, Coleman, are you, are you like filleting your microphone right now? What's going on? Is that microphone no. fellatio? Is that giving, me? It, giving him energy. Uh, yeah, it's giving you energy. Sounds like, uh, yeah, Barry J. Giles passing the mic around here for things. I have been I've been cranking it this whole time, so I knew it. I knew you know, it. just so excited about this the direction that we're all heading in. It's it's good. Know. It's Trump's America. All you can do is masturbate and cry. That's that's oh. where we're at. So yeah, go to optimismvaccine.com. Check out all the cool shit we have. More podcasts, great articles like Jake's article on Canuck Exploitation that you can read. Bunch of other cool stuff. In addition to that, you can go to iTunes, and please, for the love of Jesus, subscribe to us, uh, rate us, write a review. Why would you rate and write a review? I know that's 30 seconds of your time, and your time is oh so very precious. Let me tell you why, because the more people who rate the podcast and write a review for us, then the easier it is for us to be visible on iTunes. The more visible we are, the more people that listen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can be part of of the snowball of listeners that will propel us to the top of the iTunes charts. And then we'll get our million-dollar iTunes contracts, and then we'll completely sell out. But in order for that to happen, five stars and a written review on iTunes. Please, please, for the love of God, do it. Uh, Also, Twitter, at OptimismVaccine, or you can email us at uh, OptimismVaccine at gmail.com. If you want to follow us individually, I am at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve C-U-F-F Coleman. Where the fuck are you? I am at Colmania. That's at K O H L M A N I A. Jake, what about you? I'm at Jake Tropila, J A K E T R O P I L A. Fucking fabulous. Uh, Coleman, last word is yours. We're done. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> That's what I wanted! <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm just going to cut it and put that song in at the end after. After we're done. Yeah. Want to do uh, take two on the final word? Sure. Take two on the final word. Call the last words yours. 
We're out of here. <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> oh, my God. That outro is in a tailspin.